1. This morning, it's on page 1018. If you'd like to use a Bible from the church, you could grab that in front of you and turn to page 1018. This morning, we want to look particularly at verses 3 and 4, although I'm going to start at verse 1 and read down through verse 7 to give us a broader feel for the context and the, and the flow. So thankful for our musicians and just how they help us to sing these wonderful songs of praise to our God. Second Peter chapter 1. This is God's Word, and here's what God says. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There's no word like your word. We count it as a treasure. It is truly, it is truly your precious and great promises to us. Thank you that you've given it to us. Now help us, help us to see wonderful things in this word. Change us by what we are beholding. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All summer long, 11 of the 13 weeks, we are going to make our way through this passage. First, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We will spend seven of our weeks uh, in verses 5, 6, and 7. So our focus when we get there, we'll be thinking about what it means when he says, for this very reason, make every effort. We, we're, we want to think hard and deeply and be affected by the, by the notion that we are to make great effort in our cultivating our Christian maturity. But we're not there yet. Last week we began by looking at verses 1 and 2. The starting point of the Christian experience is not us and the effort we make. The starting point is, first of all, knowing who Jesus is and what it looks like, what it consists of, that through faith we live in a relationship with Jesus. That was verses 1 and 2. Now, building on top of that, this morning from verses 3 through 4, we embark on, on, on experiencing and recognizing the divine resources that we've been given. So that when we get to the point of, when it says make every effort, we, we're, we're, we're going to put that on top of this engine that we're going to look at particularly this morning. All who belong to Jesus 
have been given divine resources. In particular, uh, the resources that I think are specked out for us in verses 3 and 4 are something of the power of Jesus, that's verse 3 in particular, and then something of the promises of Jesus, that's verse 4. And yet, all throughout here, uh, it, it's, it's talking about the divine resources that we've been gifted in Christ Jesus, all who belong to Christ Jesus. He says there, then in beginning in verse three, his divine, his, who's his, who, who is this? He's, he's just coming off of speaking about Jesus and what it looks like to live in relationship with Jesus. His divine power, Jesus's power, has granted to us all things. How many things? A few things, some things, a lot of things, all things, everything. Jesus' power has granted to us all things that pertain to, he says there, life and godliness. So what I would suggest to you and by those two terms, life and godliness, I, I, I think we would just be better to collapse those together. And really what he's saying is that we've been given everything we need to live a godly life. The provided power of Jesus is almost enough. Hmm. The provided power of Jesus is enough to propel us to pursue a godly life. Now, now let, let, let's, let's not get out of kilter here. Christianity is not first and foremost, about us and what we do. Christianity is first and foremost about Jesus and what he did. And, and yet, what Jesus did plays out and plays in and through uh, the godly life that we pursue as those who name the name of Jesus. We've been given everything, all things. This is really a wonderful statement of the sufficiency of the gospel, the sufficiency of the scriptures. Positively stated, to, 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 to live out our calling as Christians to pursue godliness, we have everything we need through the gifted divine power of Jesus. But I think we could, we could address that from a negative standpoint as, as well. Uh, in other words, any obstacle to pursuing a godly life, any impediment to pursuing a godly life, any difficulty in pursuing a godly life, we have the divine resources in the Scriptures through the gospel to even counter those difficulties and those impediments. Any emotion that is standing in the way of us pursuing a godly life, any action that is standing in the way of us pursuing a godly life, any thought that is standing in the way of us pursuing a godly life, any choices that we are making that is standing in the way of us pursuing a godly life, the scripture, the gospel is enough. We've been given everything we needed positively, but also to counter that which is impediments, negatively stated, to correct and then to instruct and then to train us 
to pursue a godly life. Now, I realize that at times we hear things and, and things will ricochet off of us because of a, a certain coding that we have uh, that, that makes it hard for these truths to seep in and to penetrate into our hearts. And part of what I mean by that is we, we, we should know, we must know that we are saved by grace and not by our own works. Our works do not establish us a right relationship with God. Our works, even our efforts, do not earn us a spot in heaven. But we can't take that true point and overshoot it. And I think sometimes we do. We think, well, if we're saved by grace and not by works, if we're, if we're saved by God's mercy and not our effort, then, then, then doesn't that mean that any effort on my part in living the Christian experience is irrelevant? Well, then what does it mean when it says make every effort? We, 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 we walk a tightrope of, on the one hand, effort is to be deployed in the Christian experience. On the other hand, we should not understand that to mean that we are earning a place in heaven because of our effort, because of our willpower. We, we are saved by grace and not by works. Another thing is that we're, we're so accustomed, and part of this is cultural, we're so accustomed to hearing that God's love is unconditional. And it is in the rights in 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 a, in a true sense uh, that that it is God's love is in unconditional meaning meaning we don't earn it and 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 secondly, God takes us as He finds us He accepts us as we are, and, and yet we could overshoot the notion of God's unconditional love as well to mean, well, when it says make every effort, it obviously doesn't mean that because God's love is unconditional. No, God's love is unconditional, but you know what? It's better than unconditional. It's contra-conditional. It it, it certainly um, accepts us where it finds us, but we are the people who, in belonging to Jesus and being recipients of divine power, we are affected by grace. We are, we will, and grace means that we will not be left the same. We, God, God accepts us where he finds us, but by his grace he doesn't leave us where he finds us. Grace is not a benign nicety. Grace is the very power and presence of God affecting our lives. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, God is so patient and enduring with us and steadfast toward us. But God's grace alters who we are. Belonging to Jesus means that we pursue godly living because he has provided us everything we need to pursue godly living. No, 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 no. We won't pursue it perfectly. We won't pursue it flawlessly. But belonging to Jesus means we have both the power and now the 
desire to pursue it progressively and resolutely. Yes, we will have hiccups and we will have derailments, but we will most assuredly be brought back and put back on track and pursue the Lord Jesus and pursue the godly life that he calls us to. He says there also in verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge. This is the second time we've talked about knowledge now. It was back in verses 1 and 2. Now it's here again. Um, Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His own glory and excellence. So, 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 through the knowledge of Jesus, in other words, he's already introduced that to us, that, 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 that being in, in a relationship with Jesus means that we know him, we experience him. And, and, and what he's saying is that, that as we now grow and deepen in that relationship, that knowledge of Jesus, that, that, that is how the, the very uh, divine power that we need that provides us everything we need for living a godly not life is now given to us as we grow in an awareness of Jesus. It says there, who called us, and it says by his own glory and excellence. Now that, that, that's a, the word excellence is just it's just out there. It's, just, it's real vague. As to what in the world does that mean? And we'll look at it more closely in the weeks to come, but it's actually the same word he, he uses in verse 5 where it says, and make every effort to add to your faith. And how, how is it translated for us? Add to your faith what? What are we to add to our faith? Virtue. Virtue is the same word that he's used here now in verse 3. That, that, that through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and virtue. Or again, I would just put those two terms together, glory and virtue, and say really what he's talking about. We've been called to belong to Jesus who is gloriously virtuous. Do you you see that? Connecting the dots here. Why is it that we have everything we need to pursue a godly life? We have everything we need because we've been called to belong to the one who is gloriously virtuous. And so when he later says, add to your faith virtue, what he's really calling us to do is add to your faith the very same moral traits of, of goodness and virtue that characterize the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I mean, how, how can I look like Jesus? Well, he's telling us that we can begin to look like Jesus because we've been called to live in relationship with Jesus. Interesting, Peter I mean, that, that, that word excellence or virtue is only used five times in the New Testament. Peter uses them four of that, of that five times. So Peter likes this word. No one else seems to, uh, to, to like it. But, in, uh, but Peter uses it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and, uh, and 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies... 
There's that word again, but it's really the same word in verse 5 of 2 Peter 1. It's the same word in verse 3 of 2 Peter 1. And so it's not a stretch that you may proclaim the virtues of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Jesus is virtuous. He is gloriously virtuous. He is perfectly, flawlessly virtuous, and we now belong to him. That should have some bearing on the trajectory and the direction of our lives. That, that, that we are called to, to know that we belong to this one who is gloriously virtue, virtuous, and we are to then begin cultivating those same virtues in our lives so that our lives would be a public testimony of reflecting and resounding the glorious virtues of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something of the power of Christ. Now let's look in verse 4 of something of the... And, and yet we're not done talking about the power of Christ yet. But we move on in verse 4 where he adds to talking about the power of Jesus, the promises of Jesus. Verse 4, by which, in other words, through the knowledge of him who called us uh, to his own glorious virtue, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. How do we grow in a deeper intimacy and relationship with Jesus? Because it's as we grow in a deeper relationship with Jesus, we, we, we're able to understand and experience more of the, of, of, of the divine power that we need to pursue a godly life. While we grow in our knowledge and our intimacy and our relationship with Jesus and our awareness of being called into His glorious virtue through the Scriptures, particularly the promises of the Scriptures, His his precious and very great promises. Now, there is more in the Scriptures than promises. Now, I'm just going to give you a, a, an alert here. Um, I, I, I never did master the English language. I never did master uh, English literature. I never did master English grammar. And yet, and yet I do know this, that there are different kinds of sentences. One kind of sentence is an imperative. An imperative sentence is, a, is an order. It's a, it's a command. So when we get to verse 5, make every effort. Pop quiz, what kind of sentence is that? It's an imperative sentence. It, it's giving us commands or orders or instructions. And yet what I want you to see is that God in His wonderful kindness always builds the imperatives of his word on top of the, this is the second kind of sentences, uh, the indicatives of his word. While imperatives tell us what to do, in, uh, indicatives tell us what is. Indicatives are, are the statements of the Scripture, the, the, the stated realities and facts, the promises, if you would. So, so again, see where we're going? We're eventually getting to verse 5, where, the, where we start to see the, the imperatives come at us, make every effort, and, and yet he's laying a foundation. But before I ever tell you uh, what to do, I, I want to tell you what is. And what is, is we have a whole boatload of precious 
and very great promises. Before we hear the indicatives, I mean, I'm sorry, before we hear the imperatives ordering us on how to live, we, we, we encounter the promises, the indicatives that tell us what we've been provided, by which he has granted us uh, precious and very great promises. What God has done for us in Christ and by the Spirit is the foundation for the kind of life we are to now pursue. Pursuing a godly life, which should be the earnest, authentic pursuit of everyone who names the name of Jesus, is founded upon the fact that we've been resourced with promises. I'll give you a few. Belonging to Jesus means that we've been promised a new start. In Romans 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. In in John 1, verses 12 through 13, belonging to Jesus means that we've been We've been adopted uh, by a new father. To all who believe in him, who receive him, he has given the right to become children of God. We are now the well-loved children of God. All who belong to Jesus have been been given new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone uh, is in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we've been given a new direction for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus uh, for good works that we should walk in them, that we should do them. We've been given a new future. Jude 24 and 25 says, Now to him who is able to present us faultless before the throne with joy. We, 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 Jesus gets every one of his children home. We have been given a new destiny or future, if you would. We, we have been provided a new presence. Hebrews 13, 5 says that I will never leave you you nor forsake you. We've been given a whole new assignment or purpose in life. Romans 8, 28 to 30 reminds us that all things now work out for good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. And, and that express purpose a verse later is that, that, that we are being conformed into the image of his son Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, our new purpose is that we are being shaped into the image of Jesus. Every event, every circumstance, every difficulty, every trial is played into the hand of forming us into the image of Jesus. And we've been given a new power that that anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in, but if, but if, but if we belong to Christ, then the Spirit is in us. Romans 8. 8, 9 through 11. And all of that is predicated upon the fact that, that we belong to Jesus. We've been given a new identity. For our life is now hidden with God in Christ. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we shall appear like him. You see, you see these are, that's just a sampling 
of these precious and very great promises. And what are you to do with indicatives? What are you to do with, with promises? Well, first of all, you're to remember them. If we go amnesiac on the promises of God, then, then we will not experience the degree of intimacy with Jesus that we need in order to pursue a godly life. You see how all this is stacked on top of each other. So perhaps we sit here this morning and you say, well, why have I no interest in pursuing a godly life? Why have I no power to pursue a godly life? Well, it could be that you don't belong to Jesus. And that remedy is, is, is straightforward. Turn to Jesus. This morning, right here, before we ever finish the sermon, turn to Jesus. Trust only in Him. He alone pardons us and imparts new life and gives us all of these promises that we've just referenced. Or perhaps you do belong to Jesus, but what has gotten fuzzy is a bit of what your relationship to Jesus consists of. And in particular, what God has done in Christ by His Spirit to, 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 to give us these precious and very great promises. It's, it's an open book. You don't have to keep the book closed and, 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 and then be so inclined to forget these promises. You've you got to keep it open. You've got you to remember these promises because you have to cherish these promises. Our hearts have to be in awe and feel satisfied by these promises. And that's how we grow in our knowledge or our relationship with Jesus so that we truly do experience in real time right here, right now, what it looks like that to know that we've been given everything we need to pursue a godly life. It comes through the promises of Jesus. And he adds to that, going on in verse 4, um, uh, so, so that, so that, so we've been granted uh, great, precious and very great promises, so that through them, through what? Through the precious and very great promises. Through them, we might become partakers of the divine nature. It, 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 is, it is by receiving and remembering and cherishing and activating and standing on the promises of God's word uh, 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 that, that it's almost like that's, those are the launch codes uh, that activate the very power of the divine nature. So, so we're back to where we said for, 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 um, for his divine power has granted to us all things we need. His divine power, it, when it filters down into verse 4, translates into that we might become partakers of the divine nature. Now, now we never become God. We're still creatures. And yet, I think one of the most mind-blowing realities that the scriptures teach us about the Christian experience is that mere mortal creatures like you and I, when we belong to Jesus, we are inhabited by the very presence of God. Now, I know that you can't always put good theology on the back of a bumper sticker. Uh, but, you know, I, I, sometimes um, a car will cut me off and blow by me real quick. 
and, uh, and honk at me and then give me a one finger signal. And, 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 then, and then there's usually two things on the back of their car. There's usually a Joy FM bumper sticker. Uh, and, and secondly, and, and secondly there's, there's usually a bumper sticker that says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Now, uh, the, the FM bumper sticker besides, but, but, but you see how you and I edumacate ourselves. We catechize ourselves by short, pithy statements. But think about the statement, Christians aren't perfect, just. You highlight that, underline that, circle that. That's the problematic word here, just forgiven. Oh, beloved, Christians are gloriously forgiven. But we're never just forgiven. Do you see, but see how that, if we catechize ourselves on, well, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven, so in fact, I'm going to go find me some more stuff to get forgiven about. (laughs) If we have that train of thought, that's how we'll live. I think a better bumper sticker, of course, it's almost like that eight-verse song we just sang. It's seven minutes long. I love a seven-minute song, but it's like sometimes you can't put stuff on the back of a bumper sticker like this. But certainly Christians are not perfect. But Christians are more than forgiven. We are now partakers of the divine nature through the precious and great... Pro- See, you can't fit all that on a bumper sticker, can you? But, 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 but what we believe shapes how we live. If we see ourselves as just forgiven and, and we, we, we lop off a whole other beautiful aspect of what the gospel provides us, the, the gospel provides us these promises so that in experiencing these promises, we, what is activated in our hearts is the very divine nature. The ultimate outcome of the gospel is certainly far more than pardon as precious and beautiful and glorious and as praiseworthy as that is. But wait, there's more. We've been given more than forgiveness. Oh, keep on rejoicing to the day you die and even post-death that you have been pardoned of all your sins through Jesus. But realize that you and I have been instilled by God himself with a part of his own divine nature. It's the very life of God now residing in the soul of man. Ephesians 3 says, For this very reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory uh, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith." We've been strengthened and dwelt by the Spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Do you see how when we get to it next week, Lord willing, we can make every effort? Why can we make every effort? Because all that is needed to make every effort has been gloriously, sufficiently supplied for us in Christ Jesus. And he goes on. So that, so, so, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Having escaped the corruption 
that is in the world. And yet then he locates where that corruption that is in the world is actually located. It is located in the desires of our hearts. This is, this is so profound that we just pay careful attention to what the Scriptures say. Because, because oftentimes we're told, now look, I mean, people who grow up in a bad environment, people who grow up in a, in a, in a rough experience, I mean, they don't have a chance to succeed in life because, uh, because the environment around them is difficult. Now, there is no doubt that people go through horrendous experiences and circumstances and environments. And, and yet the worst part of life is never, ever, ever the environment that we grow up in. The worst part of life is the very depraved nature that resides in our hearts that controls our desires. Now, we were made creatures of desire. Desire is, is not wrong per se. God made us to desire Him so we, we were made creatures of desire for a great and glorious purpose, and yet sin has altered and affected us all the way down to the point of our desires. Our desires, our hopes, our passions, our lusts have now been corrupted and distorted. And yet it is at that point of desire that, that, that drives what we do and why we do what we do. We do what we do because we believe the pursuit of what we're pursuing will satisfy our craving desires. Why do people lie? Why do people steal? Why do people murder, etc., 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 etc.? Do they lie, cheat, and steal because of the environment that they grow up in? Well, that certainly influences them, perhaps. But they lie, they cheat, and they steal because we believe that happiness is found through those avenues. The corruption that is in the world actually resides in our hearts and in the desires of our hearts. How do we battle that? How do we, how do we, how do we battle these, these, these pulsating desires that, 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 that want something, and, and, and yet being corrupted by sin, don't want what God offers? Well, part of, part of the solution is, first of all, we've been robustly altered even at the point of our desires by being partakers of the divine nature, by, by the very divine power of Jesus himself indwelling us. But how do we battle competing desires? It goes back to what he said earlier in verse 4. We have to be convinced that God has better promises. See, the better promises of God's Word, the precious and very great promises, they not only counter our corruption and vices, uh, but they enable us to begin cultivating new virtue. You see, we never drift into godliness. Never. We must uh, be intentional about pursuing godliness. And in pursuing godliness, we must exert effort in pursuing godliness. But we close with this. 
Our intention and our effort to pursue godliness is predicated upon the fact that, that we belong to Jesus and we've been resourced. We are now led. We are now empowered. We are now enabled into pursuing godliness. If and for all who belong to Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how your word instructs us and teaches us and helps to unpack our own lives and yet, and yet what you have done for us in your Son by your Spirit. So, Father, impress upon us by your Spirit the very divine resources that we've been given, the power of Jesus and the very promises of Jesus. And may that shape us and reshape us and alter us and transform us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song.